Hello my dear friends and welcome to The Natural High which is a podcast dedicated to the pursuit of happiness in all its glorious forms. This week I'm speaking to one of the best people I've met since I got to California four and a half years ago. Kathy Ocean is an event producer, a musician and just a wonderful example to humankind. Kind being the prevalent word because she is a very compassionate and kind person who practices what she preaches in life. I met her uh, about three and a half years ago when we stayed at her enchanting Airbnb, one of her Airbnbs on the Russian River in Guerneville under thousand-year-old redwood trees. We were sipping champagne in their hot tub and um, then they invited us into their house and played music to us all evening and a wonderful and what I'm sure will be permanent friendship was struck up. They played the music at our wedding and they've just become amazing friends to us. So we have a conversation about life, about being calm and being happy, about Kathy's journey towards happiness. We talk about how conventional schooling is so ineffective to so many people. We talk about Kathy turning down the advances of David Bowie and loads of other stuff. It's a brilliant conversation. I love it. It's about life. It's about the zeitgeist, the status quo, and what's right and wrong with the world as far as Kathy sees it. She emailed me after our conversation, and as so many guests do, they think of things afterwards that they wish they'd said during the convo. She said, two of my favourite touchstones related to our conversation popped into my head after we hung up. The first is a Cohen-like riddle that shows up in one form or another in various mystical traditions. And the quote is, if you die before you die, then when you die, you won't die. And the other is the nursery rhyme, row, row, row your boat, that encapsulates my favourite cosmology and points to how to live a fulfilling life you can find out more about kathy by going to the naturalhighclub.com forward slash kathy ocean you can also find her airbnbs on that page i could not recommend highly enough you going to one of those airbnbs if you get the chance because some of the best nights i've ever spent in california have been there absolutely enchanting they might even play you a song although that's not a promise (laughs) anyway You can follow us at Natural High Club on Twitter. And if you do like the show, I'd be hugely grateful if you could leave a review on whichever platform you're listening to this podcast. Enjoy the show. (sighs) The Natural High. Look at that for punctual. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. I do my best. (laughs) <laughs> I've been hassling you for absolutely ages about this interview, haven't I? <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> and finally, I get to rummage around the mind of one of my very favourite people. Oh, that's sweet of you to say. <laughs> I'm trying to get, let's see, get the, where's the, oh, we don't have video, do we? You can if you want, we don't have to, it's entirely up to you. I say to the guests, I don't, we don't have to do video because... Sometimes they don't have great bandwidth and so the audios, you know, can be better quality if it's just audio. But everybody seems to want to to do the video. Doesn't matter to me. We can go either either way. I'm I'm happy with audio. How are you? And tell me what what you're up to, what you're doing. Well, let's see. 
just finished getting the uh, cottage ready for incoming guests and been doing uh, copious amounts of laundry. Oh my and, god. Uh, avoiding the stellar jays that have taken up um, nesting activities in the umbrella <laughs> in our. <laughs> By the hot tub in the backyard. I mean, I, what I'd really like to be doing right now is sitting in my little outside table. Of but course. there's uh, two stellar jays that have moved in, so I guess we're not going to be doing anything like that for a couple of months. I their family. Right. <laughs> I yeah. I I love your house. It's absolutely amazing. It's a beautiful cottage up in Guerneville. Would you describe it as a cottage a cabin? Oh, you know, I guess in terms of the entire property, we call it a compound. Mm. You know, when we when we first laid eyes on this place, it was you know sort of like a little Boy Scout compound with a main house, a detached cottage, you know, like full full service cottage, and then two other no three other little cottage dwellings and. You would think with all of that, you wouldn't need to add storage sheds, but hey, this is America, so. <laughs> <laughs> and, so we uh, added a couple more. And yeah, it's a little green piece of paradise in a beautiful green corner of the world. I feel very lucky to be here. Oh my God, it's so amazing. And you have some Airbnbs in, in that compound, don't you? Like, is it two or three Airbnbs that you rent out? Two. We have okay. a... We, we've got the, the cottage, you know, which is um, completely detached with its mm. own little yard. Um, that's the main one. And then uh, we've also got the uh, one room in our main house, which has an, its own exterior entrance and a private bathroom and is very easily separated from the main household activities. So that's the second one. I'm definitely then, going of course, to... You know, we've Sorry, got it really rough. We also have a... Uh, little property a five acre property in the sierra foothills with a yurt on it so amazing yeah so yeah and i the yurt property is great so you know we've got all told we've got three vacation rental spaces wow and i still haven't been up to the one in is it did you say yountville yountville or something like that no it's um it's a little town called north san juan okay. which is about a half an hour from Downeyville Grass Valley in the okay. Sierra Foothills. Wow, so, so really remote. <clears throat> well, you know, fairly. I mean, compared to compared to Guerneville, yes. Mm. But it's uh, what's sort of cool about that lo location, aside from the fact that it's sitting equidistance from three forks of the Yuba River, which is just God's country swimming. You know, we're really spoiled. I look at the Russian River, which is a you know beautiful beautiful river but the yuba river <laughs> for swimming is just these gorgeous drop in pool crystal really? swimming holes and um we do not feel scary well. at all swimming in there do you don't you're not concerned about wildlife or anything slithering around your ankles well you know jim and i both we we find that a plus. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> you know, and sure, there's a, if you're really afraid of slithering things, probably any river isn't the place to be. Mm. But um, uh, you know, I, I've never let's put it this way: I have never been harassed by a slithering thing. Right. You know, I've, yeah. I've seen them from time to time, and I consider that a plus, And I've never been bothered. 
Amazing. I'm going to I'm going to put uh, links to um, all of your the dwellings that you rent out on the Web page for this episode. But under normal circumstances, they're pretty much impossible to book. I don't know. My, I don't know about the yurt so much, but the ones in Guerneville, I whenever I look on Airbnb, they're not available because, you know, you're victims of your own success. I suppose they're always full. But what about now? Has it been much harder for you during times of covid to to fill them out? Well, for, you know, let's see, I calculated this. We, between fire, between fire and COVID, we were shut down for almost seven months between um, March of 2020 and February of 2021. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, that kind of hurt. Especially since we also lost um, all of our concert business as well. Yeah, yeah, I'd always I prided myself in our self-employed life. Yeah, um, you know, of having (laughs) of having not only multiple projects but really multiple businesses. And I thought, you know, if something happens to one, at least we've got another. And um, you know, COVID came and basically. It's mad, no. isn't it? How unlucky can you be? Because they seem completely, you know, unconnected, those two lines of business that you're in. I would have thought so. I yeah. would have thought so. But no, it took them, took them both out. Unbelievable. Um, and, you know, overall, though, you know, we've, we've, been, we've been lucky. We, the, the, uh, um, the pandemic unemployment assistance, uh, when they added self-employed and gig workers and so forth to that, has absolutely saved us. Wow. You know, so um, and then we were also able to put our mo- our mortgage on pause. Uh, right. So between those two things, you know, we, we have not we've been very lucky. We're doing fine. Uh, it's a great way to look at it because, you know, it's, the outlook's really important in those sort of scenarios, isn't it? Because you obviously have suffered a lot, but you're looking at other people and thinking, well, we've probably got out of it a little bit better than others. Oh, most others. definitely. Mm. And that's that's absolutely how I look at it. Um, I mean, we, you know, we're, we're, we're living, we're surrounded by, we're surrounded by nature. I walk outside mm. my door and, you know, I'm communing with 1200 year old redwood trees. I've got a creek <laughs> in the backyard. I've got the Russian river within walking distance. Mm. I'm a 15 minute drive from the coast, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, it's an indescribably got, beautiful place. Go and it is. And I feel I feel nothing but blessed. So, nice. you know, it's it, we, we've certainly had our own um, speed bumps and yeah. all of that. But, you know, can't complain. And then, do you feel like do you feel like things are sort of getting back on track now? And the numbers well, picking are, up you know, vacation rentals. You know, those those have been off the hook since people, you know, are allowed to come back into the area. Right. Yeah. Um, and in some ways, the yurt property has become even uh, more desirable because, as you said, it mm. is more remote. Mm. Although, you know, it's um, it's that perfect little sweet spot of it's remote enough that you you feel like you're really away from everything. But the reality is you're under five minutes from gas station markets um you know plenty of uh outposts of civilizations and then then a 20 25 minute 
ride to a Grass Valley, Nevada City, which are both just two stunningly beautiful little mountain towns. So, wow. you know, it's uh, it's remote, but it isn't. But and I'm that, guessing there's like no light pollution there at night times and stuff. Oh, it's gorgeous. The, the night, you know, it's just, it's beautiful. The sky must be yep. incredible on a clear night. A absolutely. So absolutely. beautiful. So lots to be, lots to be thankful for. I looked on your um, LinkedIn profile today. <laughs> I, I, I never use LinkedIn myself personally. I don't know why. Maybe I just typed Kathy Ocean to Google or something like that. I can't, normally I would do, you know, a, a respectful amount of research on every guest that I speak to. Um, a lot of the guests I speak to, I don't know. So it's the, the first time I've spoken to them. Whereas with you, we're really good friends. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I, it wasn't that I was being disrespectful in not doing the research. It's just that I've got, I've got a six month old child, as you know, and I just... I, nobody could have prepared me. <laughs> no, no. And you know what, Oliver? I didn't even try. I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> it's unbelievable. I, 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 was, I was watching your beautiful shining faces as you were um, incubating <laughs> the little beauty. And, you know, there's all sorts of things that I could have said, but it's like, why bother? Because you don't get it until you're there. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I, I, do, I feel blessed, but yeah, there are moments of genuine desperation and ex exasperation as you know yeah. d is d's working really hard i'm um primary caregiver and uh, yeah she's she's learning the power of her voice and her body now so she's moving more than ever and the scream it defies physics how something that small can make so much noise it is and you know my my daughter um was like that as a matter of fact she was known as the little screamer she would <laughs> and it would it was the, the, the path that it would take first this mouth would open into this um, extended oval. And then you would see these like little lightning bolts come out of the eyeballs. <laughs> and then would come this sound that would make grown men crumble to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, it was fire. If fire made, could make a, um, yeah. <laughs> human sound <laughs> oh my god I mean the thing is a lot of the time now when she's screaming she's not even her face doesn't even look emotional she's doing the scream voice that you know you would associate with complete hysterics but she's just looking completely calm she just loves using that scream <laughs> wherever possible yeah well she's discovering you know she's exploring the boundaries of her of her selfness Oh, brilliant. I can hear her screaming from the other room now, actually. So she's being naughty for mummy as well, which I'm uh -oh. sort of quietly pleased about. <laughs> because mum's always like, what's all, what's the big deal? You know, why do you look so exasperated? <laughs> but anyway, I was, it, it's a joy. It's a pure joy. And I, I can't wait for you to meet her, which isn't going to be too far. Oh, away I can't now, wait either. Um, but anyway, on your LinkedIn profile, it said exploring, teaching and playing at the intersection of music, consciousness studies and cultural activism. So I would like you to describe that to me, to break it down for me. I know, but I want to, you know, the listeners to to hear what you're up to, which is you know, truly remarkable and a very colourful life. But tell me how you got to that path, how you got to now. Like, you know, tell me about your upbringing as far as you're comfortable to, and you know, the, the influences and what inspired you to get onto this path that you're on. Wow, that's, I, you know, I, I put up that LinkedIn profile, oh, I don't know, three or four years ago. I haven't looked at it. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh God, what did I say? 
<laughs> exploring teaching and playing at the intersection of music consciousness studies and cultural activism i mean i'm in i'm subscribed straight away as soon as i read that yeah well i would i would i still stand by that nice. <laughs> um well let's see um you know oh gosh where where did you it's where do you like come from decide where, where, exactly where to enter into that you know, I was raised in Indiana, mm. uh, a very, very conservative uh, part of the world. Very, you know, you you. It's a it's a place where you conform. <laughs> I, you know, I it was like I was, I was. A, it's like the ugly duckling kind of thing. I don't know why. I had a, I just had an entirely different sensibility mm. than the people in the place around me from a very early age. And I was kind of, I was labeled um, an oddball from the get-go, <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. I actually ultimately um, took that as a compliment. Okay. So even when you were young, you didn't mind being different then? Mm, no, I didn't understand. Dan, I didn't, but well, of course, you know, I was just a little kid. I didn't, I didn't mm. understand. You know, I, I always, I just, I had a huge affinity for nature and the natural world. I made my, I had a little animal graveyard about the age of six or seven where every little creature that I found that had mm. you know, passed on, I, I buried. And uh, I started an ecology club at a very young age, um, started teaching my next, my five year younger next door neighbor, um, set up a classroom <laughs> in my garage and um, <laughs> basically uh, began schooling this little girl. Um, wow, I can totally imagine that, <laughs> mini Kathy. <doing> that. <laughs> um, and I just didn't, you, you know, the whole, I don't, I, I just had a very different way of perceiving my politics were, were pretty much exact opposite. And yet I, I was an only child and I was, I was always trying to be a, a good girl and mm. <laughs> make everybody, um, you know, in a little bit of the uh, tornado of my uh, household and community, you know, tried to make everything, keep everybody, you know, just make it so everybody could get along and be happy. Did you feel like a sort of quite sort of maternal from an early age then? It sounds as if it, it, that might have been the case. You know, I think, you know, there, I think there has always, there's, there's been a nurturing aspect. Mm. Um, and I suppose, yeah, maternal is a fine word for that. Um, I've always, it's just, I look around and think, why can't people just get along? <laughs> Why are people so petty and competitive and mean mm. to each other? And, you know, initially I kind of rebelled against that from the standpoint of, I mean, that's sort of where the, uh, you know, the ecology club and different things like that uh, came in. And then, you know, eventually I just sort of, uh, kept things to myself, you know, including I, I, I wasn't, 
Um, you know, I, I didn't put forth all of my dad. God, he was. Do you, do, I was just going to ask you very quickly. Do, did you have any reference points? Like if you were completely different, ideologically opposed to what was going on in your environment, were there any reference points which gave you inspiration or did you just instinctively react to what to the environment around you and you just didn't feel that was really your natural uh, environment? You know, I don't really remember many other reference points. That's why I mm. don't understand exactly what it was, why I didn't just fold more into yeah. uh, the environment around me. Just um, didn't feel right. Yeah, it was, you know, my religion was nature. That's where I found sanity in, and peace wow. in the uh, nature around me. And at that point, you know, I lived in a sort of a, a newish, subdivision that was basically in the middle of cornfields and woods so mm. there were plenty of places that I could escape into the natural world and that's where I found solace um and I and I would have dreams of I would have dreams of the ocean it was like you know I, I grew up totally landlocked you know okay thousands of miles from the sea I didn't, I didn't actually see the ocean until I was, oh, I don't know, 14, 15 years old. Wow. But from a, from a young, from a very young child, I would have these vivid dreams of the sea to the point that they felt so real. I really thought I was there. Mm. And then I'd wake up in my own bed and burst into tears because I was like, oh God, oh. I want to. You know, so <laughs> I had this pull to, you know, to the ocean and I also had you know actually thinking about it uh yeah I would say that my main outside reference point was really dreams I also yeah. had several recurring dreams of dying that were were, were very vivid um mm -hmm. many times it involved some type of a fireball but the thing is is that <laughs> and I would get past the point of you know there would first be this you know horrific thing and I'd and I'd die but then it would, it would, I would immediately transcend to this place of absolute beauty, bliss, and peace. Wow. Complete felt sense of those things. And, um, you know, I've held on to that. That's throughout my, my entire life. Uh, I occasionally still have dreams like that, not as much as I once did. But it, it did seem like the things, my, more of my reference points were those kinds of things. I mean, I'm sure there must have been different media. You know, a lot of the songs of the 70s too, I have to say a lot of the, the, the music as I you know, was a young adolescent, I think also served as a way or as a, as a mode. Mm -hmm. But you know, eventually I got to the point where, you know, graduated and I used to, man, um, Jim and I had two, really different experiences this way. He, his childhood was basically getting yanked from community to community to community. I mean, he never got a chance to um, ground in any one place. Mm -hmm. And and I had the very opposite. I had I you know, was in the same community from kindergarten, elementary, junior high, high school. And you know, those people, you, you are 
you are given a reputation or whatever people decide who you are and how you mm. are, and you are that. You yeah. know, I used I would have loved, loved, loved to have, <laughs> you know, uh, been able to move to a new community or have a little bit of, you know, something. Sure. You know, certainly public, not to the extent that, that he was. Mm. But at any rate, I got, you know, I went through all of all of the normal schooling and then um, went to Indiana University in Bloomington. Uh, just I just assumed that that's where, you know, I would go. I, I didn't explore other possibilities and uh, spent the first semester in the dorms because my parents dictated that that's what it would be that I had to at least try it as and opposed to as opposed to living off campus I really did okay. not I didn't want to be um I, I wanted to be off on my own someplace right but, like, um, when, like when you're in nature as a child happy <laughs> exactly. with your solitude mm. <laughs> exactly so uh so first semester in a dorm and then the next tell me what you studied what did you study <laughs> well, I started off in elementary education, ah. and once I realized uh, how much dogma and rigidity that there was within, you know, the teaching profession, mm. um, you know, I guess in many ways, my whole life has been about trying to throw off shackles. <laughs> wow. You know, so I didn't, I didn't like what I saw in terms of what, you know, and I, I wasn't, you know, my, my, I wasn't, my consciousness wasn't developed enough at that point to understand that going through that education process didn't mean that I was going to have to go into a, you know, public system. Mm. Tell me no. about the just quickly, like if you could like exemplify the rigidity and the dogma that you experienced. What what sort of things? Well, you know, it's being told how to teach basically within a very strict framework. That and the idea that you know that, that basically that you're going that, that subjects you have to teach. Well, even even going more basically, we we are whole complex whole h-w-h-o-l-e mm. very complex organisms that we we are learning creatures you mm. go out into the world and we absorb things we 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 don't it's it's a it's the whole difference between the reductionistic you know taking everything down right. to its parts or you know treating the the, the organism as a whole mm. and you know i didn't it, you know, the idea it, to me, education is about getting out into the world, learning from, you know, if you, if you go out into nature and you observe, observe nature, you pretty much learn the workings of the universe. Yeah, um, yeah. If you, if you take a child and give them a very, very enriched uh, environment where they can explore and let their natural curiosity, you know, take over. Um, they, I mean, not that you, you're not going to be doing some sco coaching and skill building along the way. Of course you are, but you let the experience and the 
nature of the child and the organism take the lead mm. and the other things point. other things follow so it's more like you, you know to me any type you know education is we're talking about children it's 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 child-led the teacher's job is to watch very very closely follow the interests of the child build you find real real world projects which is just a piece of cake to do if you're you know in in, in terms of other um you know, forms of education out there. This would be more of a Montessori, Waldorf, you know, yes. type approach. And that resonates um, with me so much, what you're saying, Kathy, because I wasn't ignited at all at school and it didn't feel like it was pupil-led at all. It felt like it was teachers teaching a certain subject and if you didn't get on board with it, if it didn't ignite you, if it didn't compel you, then, you know, bad luck. You're not going to succeed at school. And I would love, what, what you're talking about really speaks to me. And it's a choice that I can make for my child as well, because I do think that should be the way, you know, you should find, you should let the child lead you to, into their curiosity. Exactly. Then it becomes this amazing, vibrant conversation wow. where you both learn. Yeah. There's just, there's just a way that, you know, as, that I, that the educational systems work that absolute beats the life and joy out of learning <laughs> and that ends up pitting these poor kids against each other in this, wow. you know, horrible soap operatic um, bullying, getting picked on things that, that then, you know, it's like, you don't, uh, You've, 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 you're talking about what you mentioned at the start as well. You alluded to at the start. Why can't people get on? Why is the world so competitive? Well, you're giving us the answer really right now, aren't you? Because it starts from an early age at school when you develop all of these um, symptoms and, and qualities, inverted commas, because that's uh, because of the rigidity of the, the educational system. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of it, we just, I, I, you know, there's, we are born into the world with a, a joyous, ebullient, curious spirit. And we, society, and I believe, you know, from a lot of repressed, repressed generational pain, uh, we basically beat that out of, of our children, mm. of ourselves. And, you know, I, I just, I see that, you know, happening really sad uh, and I agree I mean that just resonated with me so much what you said so so it, so you had those feelings at the time that you were doing your first year of university and thought no this isn't for me I did I you know I saw I, I kind of I saw that path and thought no education isn't it so then I, then you joined I, the circus <laughs> well, about the time, okay, so, you know, I, right, so I guess the, the kind of, yeah, my whole life has been a circus, and yeah, I love my circus, nice. um, <laughs> but yeah, so at elementary education and um, in the dorms, and then I moved slightly to a little apartment, slightly off campus, and at that point started taking, uh, I always had, a, always had a bent for writing, um, took a lot of um, uh, writing and literature courses and so forth. And then 
and I don't know why I was allowed to do this, but I started taking graduate level environmental science courses as a sophomore. Okay. And, you know, so I, I was more or less cherry picking my interests um, mm. while I was at, at IU. And then the next year um, I moved out of my little apartment into an A-frame cabin in the middle of Hoosier National Forest. Wow. And that was beautiful. I loved that little place. But then, you know, existentially, I was, co I was coming to just a crisis where I was coming to a point where every, I would open a book and I would feel physically ill. And I was spiraling down into a major depression and, you know, I just felt in my bones that I needed to get the hell out of Dodge. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so in the middle of a semester and my grades were going down, I was always a um, I was blessed with the ability to, you know, my, my learning style happened to uh, fold into the way that, you know, I'm a visual, auditory, verbal linguistic learner. So mm. the way that, you know, courses are taught and graded came very naturally to me. So I, you know, was a very good student without putting out huge amounts of effort. Wow. And, um, <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll take that. Although it's, it's really a shame, you know, there's lots of, you know, people who think that they're not good students and learners, it's mainly because they're being taught in ways that are not matching their primary modes mm. of learning. And that's also a shame. But sure. anyhow, my grades were going down and I didn't like that. Can so, I just say, were you, were you alone with your thoughts in the A-frame as well? Were you living on your own? Yes. Right. Yeah. And I was an only child. Mm. So, you know, that also, um, you know, I've always been very self-reliant and comfortable with my own company and um, and you're, the other thing is I don't want to uh, segue too quickly but you are such an easy person to be around like your social skills are um, immense so I and uh, so it doesn't that, that's strange you you know you're an only child it doesn't really tally does it necessarily with having such great soft skills as you do Oh, that's interesting. You know, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, as each of us, I, I'm living inside of myself. I don't necessarily. Um, but you're so easy to be around, which is, you know, your energy is, is so easy to be around. Yeah, well, thank you. I think, you know, um, yeah, you know, in some ways, so I think, you know, it's, it's, it's in the whole micro to macro way that life is. Um, mm. you know, if you're, I think if you're at ease within yourself, then that translates out to ease in the greater world as well. I mean, it's all, as we, um, you know, like to say it's turtles all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> what does yeah. that mean? Uh, it means that, it, it means that what no matter how many variations and, and differences we think there are in, in many ways, it's the, it's the same thread from top to bottom. It's the same dynamics. It's the same um, stories. 
there's a there's a thread that connects all. Okay. And the same way, the way that an an atom, if you break down an atom into its component parts, and then you put you take that picture, and then you then you take a picture of of the solar system in the universe, and by damn, uh, the 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 picture of the atom broken down into its component parts looks identical to the universe. It's wow. it's the same. It's it's like we're 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 making different mud pies out of the same mud. Yeah. But when you get down to it, it's all it's all the mud, or you know, turtles all the way down. Awesome. Yes, the oneness is how, how what I feel about the the idea of the oneness. You know, we're all the same. We're all the same thing. At the, exactly. At the end of the day. It's mm. exactly we we are. You know, we we weave all these tremendous stories. We're, we're that's one of my favorite quotes: "Is the world isn't made of atoms; it's made of stories." And wow. um, I've heard that attributed to Einstein, but I think that I've also heard that Einstein got it from somebody else. So again. Um, turtles all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're very comfortable with yourself now, which is wonderful. And again, that's a real amazing virtue. But you, but going back to the A-frame, you didn't. It just sounds to me as if you weren't feeling particularly comfortable in your bones at that stage. You oh my God! No, 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 no. For I was else. going down. I was going down. So, mm. and I were you were you med that. were you medicating in any way? If I if I may ask, um, was no. there like drinking going on to 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 become comfortably numb or anything like? You've never been much of a drinker, have you? Not well. No, I I do like I like my white wine, and you know I have a glass or two every every night, and I recognize that there's you know I mean I I'm capable of not, but I I I, I like my wine. Yeah, you you always drink sensibly when I'm with you, and you allow me to make a fool of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Oliver, I have not I. <laughs> you know, I have not witnessed that. Yes, you have. Well, okay, you think you, you, you have, I have perhaps more skill than at holding it than you think you do. I just get even more excitable when I've had a few drinks. Okay, yeah, but you're very excitable, and that's one of the things we <laughs> love about you. But you know, this is but this is this this energy thing is central because I'm still working on my energy for sure. I don't feel at ease. So it's something which is it's really interesting to hear your journey. So yeah, like um, how yeah, did you get well, there? There's there's also, I mean, that's a that's a life that's lifelong work. Mm. Um, you know, I to this day I don't do nothing well. <laughs> I don't do okay. You need to be busy. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, or I'm capable, well, I mean, that, that's another thing that, that I really love about being in nature is, you know, I can step out, like, you know, step out my door and then just, you know, have this momentary, momentary shifting and just sort of absorbing everything that's around me that mm. is a, you know, huge calming effect um i really do rely on nature and the natural world to keep me sane mm. um i recognize that how does it make you feel does it relax you does it enliven you because i find being in nature quite exhilarating actually 
I always find that it, it wakes me up. Excites yes, me. it's clarifying. There, mm. There's a place, you know, I think that's where, um, I think that's one of the easiest places to feel a profound interconnection with all that's out there. Yes. And to, you know, take, um, it, it's, it can, it's an instantaneous taking me out of, you know, my own little story and troubles and feeling the greater thing and putting mm. in perspective, um, you know, just how, really how trivial my own concerns are. Interesting, so, yeah. It's like distractions. There are so many distractions in daily life. And then you get out to the countryside, particularly when you don't take your phone with you, you can get out to the countryside. And I agree with you. You can feel sort of important and completely unimportant at the same time. But just like it just it's like a rejig. It recalibrates you. Exactly. And, and that is, you know, and that's the thing that <laughs> we are both incredibly important and not important at all. <laughs> <laughs> and both things are absolutely true. Mm. So, you know, at a certain point too, it just, it helps, you know, it brings this point where, you know, also we have this idea that we've got control over anything. You know, that's just an illusion. That's, mm. it's, it's ludicrous. There's so many, you know, we are so tiny and there's so many moving parts and, and, you know, we're all running around doing our best to control everything that we can and to make our lives look a certain way that we decide that it's supposed to look. And ultimately, we don't have any control. That's all, it's, that's all, of, it's all a fiction. Mm. So th there's a point if you can realize that and feel yourself supported by these unseen you know by life basically hmm. then there's a place where you know at least for me I, I can more easily let it go and in, just enjoy the ride for the moment letting go yeah and you know and then life sometimes when you do that life stops becoming a struggle because a lot of the time life can appear to be a struggle because you're struggling towards something you're trying to reach something some kind of goal some kind of ambition but then if you can just switch off i once um, my mother was worrying really worrying about something once and i said to her don't you realize like we're completely insignificant we're all completely insignificant she was devastated she was absolutely devastated when I told her that information. It was like it made her more worried. <laughs> yeah. But I love yeah. that idea. I, I, it really calms me down when I realize that, you know, it's all, yeah, it's all just, we're completely insignificant. We oh, can't we really have and any you, control yeah, over it. And there's it. a thing that if, when you, when you really, I mean, yes, on one, on one hand, that can be absolutely terrifying. But then on another, it's like, ugh, then I don't have to, I can give up trying to control everything. I can actually just step outside and feel the sun penetrating my skin and watch the, the, the ripple of the leaves from the wind. And I can actually feel allowed just sort of this natural joy to come up and take over. Yeah. It's sort of like the foundation of Buddhism, really, isn't it? Yeah. Letting go. Yeah, yeah, it, it is in many ways. And, and it's that, but it's also very ineffable. 
Because again, right. one of the problems with any of the, any dogma at all is you can then get lost into the story and the protocol and lose the life and the curiosity and the joy and the beauty of the moment. Wow. So, you know, and that's another thing. I was, <laughs> I was raised um, in a Lutheran church and uh, what does it mean being, what is a Lutheran church? They just have specific edicts that oh, are slightly it's just, different. You know, it's, a, it, it, it's one of the Protestant religions in Christianity. Okay. Okay. It doesn't, you know, any, all of these religions, every religion has, well, they generally have their dogmatic um, portion. Their story. And they've got mm. a more esoteric, you know, spiritual or, or part that, you know, more of a mystical tradition too, mm. but in terms of what the, the masses are exposed to in churches, it's the, you know, you shall do this, you shall not do that, you know, you're damned, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I would go to church on Sundays and try really, really hard to understand what was being, being said and listening to the way that, you know, these people of God are saying that we're supposed to behave. And and then I would, and I would look at all the people, all the neighbors and people in the community who are sitting there in their Sunday best and they're nodding their head and they're being all pious. And in the meantime, I know that, you know, Mrs. Jones is having an affair with um, uh, Mr. Miller <laughs> and uh, these people are talking shit left and right about each other. And I'm going, does not compute, does not compute, does not yeah. compute. And I'd pass out literally in church. I used to wow. faint in church all the time. Oh my God. Great, <laughs> great. You know, and like again, I I like to joke like, like, well, you know, I don't know if that means that I'm the devil or <laughs> you know, or what, but you know, I still have that problem when I go into church. I literally start getting lightheaded and I I don't feel like I'm holding um, you know, a whole bunch of judgments about the judgments per se although I mean, of course i am in a certain degree but um and i forget what how did i get onto that um yeah we i can't remember how you uh, you started talking about religion but oh it's just all so fascinating i don't even i don't even uh, mind if you forget the point entirely because you'll start talking about something else which is fascinating <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, well, yeah. We're still, we're still trying to. We're, we're we're desperately trying to get out of Indiana. Ultimately, that's right. what we're doing. Is we're okay. We're, yeah. we're trying to get out of Indiana. And you're and you're at one of the low points of your life. It sounds like at this point. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was. Although you know, again, some of those low points are some of instructive. the instructive, so instructive, instructive and powerful ones, and and really the catalyst to get to something else. So you know. Yeah, adversity is fine as long as you're learning from it. Exactly, mm. exactly. So, so anyhow, I ended up withdrawing. Yeah, that's right. My grades were going in the toilet, and I didn't like that. And I was going into clinical depression. I really didn't like that. Wow. Um, so I dropped out of all of my classes in the middle of a semester, and I went to work for about six months, and then I sold everything I owned, and I packed a trunk and a guitar and got on a train for San Francisco. Brilliant. <laughs> Had you been out of Indiana at all at this point? Very, 
not much. Right. <laughs> not much. Wow. I had seen um, during for a spring break um, a few years earlier, I had come out to to San Francisco with a friend. And, you know, it's just, I felt like I'd found my people. Yeah, out. right. It was, it was an absolutely transformative experience. Tell me what, where, when was this? Was it in the 80s, maybe? No, this would have been, uh, let's see, this probably would have been 1979-ish. Wow. So San Francisco's but, rocking at that point. Oh, it was great. It was great. And, you know, it's funny, too, the place that I that I that I really really resonated with is right here where I am now living. Um, uh. It was this little, you know, just the uh, North Sonoma or the Sonoma Coast area. How did you coast. find out about it? If you went to San Francisco, I mean, it's not something you'd immediately like go trek it, go up up there, you know, sixty no, we ninety were miles. Staying, we we came that the friend, my friend and I were staying with another friend who had moved out here. Okay. So, <clears throat> so that friend, you know, <clears throat> took us around. What's that? Um, well, I'm sorry, so sorry to interrupt. I just want to say it's because I'm so fond of it. You know, Armistead Mopan, the uh, the Tales of the City. Is that what it was called? Do you know you know the thing I'm talking about? Armistead, the Armistead. Just Armistead Mopan. Let's just check. Armistead Mopan. Yeah, Tales of the City. You've got to see it if you haven't seen it already. It's absolutely amazing. Um, it's about San Francisco in the 70s. It's all about these young people that moved to San Francisco when it's absolutely swinging and what an incredible place it is. And, you know, people are meeting gay people for the first time and gay people can just go around doing their own thing and feeling free. It's just what it's a wonderful yeah. show. It really yeah, it embraces was a that wonderful sense of time in the city, too. I mean, there, yeah. and there was that. Yeah, it was just, you know, just the yeah, when I that was when I when I got to the city. You know, and of course, I was still a depressed mess. But I remember just wandering around, just thinking, "My God, what a beautiful place to be depressed!" <laughs> and what a departure! <laughs> what a... This is the place to do it. <laughs> Amazing! And what a contrast with Indiana. Oh, huge! Just in every way. But yeah, again, just the 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 tolerance and the, the different the different communities who were just being themselves and doing their things and, and the way, you know, just villages, all the different villages within the city. Right. Um, oh my God, and the food. I just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just like your first truly cosmopolitan experience, I suppose. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Do you think it's? Do you think San Francisco's gone way past its heyday now? Does it? Is it not as nice these days as it was back then? To, to your mind? Well, you know, it seems it it seems different. I mean, of course, you know, I'm older and I'm different too. I I think that that I'm guessing that for people who are in a coming of age point in their life, um, that there's still plenty of magic to be had mm. in the city. So, you know, I, I, I would really, I think, want to put that out as, as a primary thing. But um, I suppose, you know, it has changed. I was like, we've still got those districts, like the Hate District, which is still do. wonderful. It's, and the Castro is amazing. But it's like in this Tales of the City show. So basically this girl turns up um, in San Francisco without a job and gets an amazing apartment in Russian Hill. <laughs> oh, you know what? I have seen this. Right. Yes. Okay. 
I mean, so it just feels like in terms of affordability, San Francisco's changed a huge amount. It has. I mean, there is, there's much more, the, uh, there's been a corporate takeover. Mm. And a lot of the, I mean, the bohemian spirit is still there, but it's, the volume has been turned way, way down. Mm. And yeah, it's almost, you know, well, the whole whole Bay Area affordability here is just crazy. And do you think, do you think that, you know, the homelessness situation, do you think that's as a consequence of this, of this corporate takeover? Because, I mean, the, the homelessness situation in the Bay Area is absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? It's, it's just, it beggars belief. Because, Was it as bad in the 70s? It can't have been. I mean, they would have just been beatniks, right, in the 70s, like, uh, ex, you know, allowed to be there and, you know, not seen as social pariahs, not pushed out to the underneath motorways. They've just been hanging out in, in Ashbury, would they? Yeah, there's a, you know, as popular, you know, popul- of course, the just overall population has increased tremendously since the right. 70s. Mm. There, there's, a, there's, a, just, there's a lot more pressure on resources of all kind, um, there is, you know, this whole, well, I would even, I'd have to even say the whole species, we have a mental health crisis um, that is worldwide. Mm. Um, and, you know, between Between the, the mental health issues, it's and it's also a crisis of the soul. Um, you know, between mental health issues and the dire economic situation, and you know, the rich getting so so much richer, and uh, you know, it it's a time of crisis, mm. and there there's a there's a heaviness that there, there's a heaviness and a sense of disillusion that that really sort of permeates everything mm-hmm. and including you know the the vibrancy that was once more palpable in the city mm-hmm. Is the mental health crisis a consequence of COVID and what's happened over the last year? Or is it, does it go back a lot, a lot further than that? Is it because of this, you know, the sort of corporate takeover of, of San Francisco, California, America? Oh, I think it goes, <laughs> I think it goes way, way, way back. I think it goes back before recorded history. Wow. We're truly fucked then. We're really buggered. Well, I was going to ask my next question was going no, to be what are, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to come I, out of it? <laughs> I say I say no and yes. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, it's like we're born into well, again, going back to that we're not made of um, atoms; we're made of stories. Mm. Um, you know, we are each of us are born into a story of our family, our family circumstances, our family history, the community that we are from. 
into a story that we accept as true and as as real. Mm. But and we never question any of that. You know, we're you know, so we're we're told that you know the, these people. Uh, these people are the enemy, you know, they're, they're different from us. They're, they're, they're the other, and we need to be afraid of them. Or there's all these, you know, reasons of whatever the opinion is. And we, we accept this just as absolute fact without questioning. Hmm. So every single person is born in to a fiction, really. I mean, there, there's you know, some of your best best fiction has truthful elements so it isn't like it's all lies but it is a fiction each of us but but it's a fiction that we assume is truth that we it's operate out, yeah. from automatically right. mm. and is completely invisible to us and wow. a lot of the, the part of the story the story of each of us is coming from generations of, of unresolved circumstances and pain. So, you know, it's like we're, it's imbued from, you know, the, I think that there's this place where, okay, well, the way out of everything, as I see it, <laughs> is to stop othering everybody. Because right. ultimately, we are all made of the same stuff. We mm. are the same. Mm. And where we really, when we break everything up into these little tiny pieces that we then pit against each other and end up w- it, it immersed into this whole story of conflict and you know who knows what, we, we can't see the possibilities and the beauty and everything that's also all around us and we just we're in this little tunnel vision of of reflected fragments of of pain from the past that we don't even know is part of what we're dealing with Hmm. wow yeah, I know you're making so much sense and programming as well, right? Yeah, as well as the pain, as well as those oh, sort of dormant, do, is that dormant pain, that ancestral pain? We've got that that programming, which is I need to have more than the person next to me. I need to hoard materials. I need I need to I'll be happy if I've got better stuff than my neighbor. And in practice, as we know, in practice, you never get the joy from those materials after you have actually finally ascertained them. No, 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 not at all. And the thing, and to complicate that, I mean, yeah, so all of those things are going on within our own psyches, you know, Mm got to get more, if I just get this, I'm going to be happy. But then there's, you know, all of these different, uh, you know, industries and marketing and advertising that's trying to get us to think and feel and believe and buy a certain way mm. so you know we're we're basically uh and that's exacerbating like, the problem it's, it's exacerbating exactly. the problems well, with the environment these, it's exacerbating like our mental health problems. squirrels that are chasing our own tails round and round and round uh and and having you know no idea that that's what we're doing yeah i wouldn't mind if i was a squirrel i wouldn't i wouldn't be that gutted i'd, I'd quite like to be a squirrel 
Why wouldn't mine be the squirrel? <laughs> but I totally get your point. I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so, so the way out is to stop othering. It's to, again, it's it all sounds you know cliche, but it's so true, isn't it? It's, I, I suppose I want to want to ask, and how how do we actually practice that? How do we practice stop to to stop othering? How do we bring everybody together a little bit more and have that have that mindset? Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> the billion dollar question. You know that that's that it it starts. It's it's an individual inside job. Mm. You know that, that's and and I think that's the work of a lifetime too. Um, you know, so I, I think that really, in, in some ways, it's it's really really simple. You observe and you watch. Mm. You 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 notice when you're doing it, and not right. in, in, and from a totally dispassionate, non-judgmental non-judgment, ju- way. It's not like, you know, oh my God, I'm this horrible person because I've had this you know thought that's running through my head. No, it's it's a it's 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 a witness place. It's a it's a it's a stopping to notice it's an instantaneous thing you 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 observe your behavior and you don't judge it you just notice when you're doing it right and yeah and it's that over and over and and over and just noticing when you're just starting to look at the script and the props in your own story with curiosity rather than judgment. Right, openness. Yeah, and enjoying, you know, sort of loosening, relaxing into, you know, it's it's really, really easy to focus on how fucked up everything is. It's harder to allow the beauty and the joy that is given to us every single moment. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Which is, again, a daily practice to really appreciate that. It is, you know, and even more than a daily practice, it's it's a moment to moment practice. Mm. I suppose. Yeah, go on. In, in the same way that you know there, there is no there is no either or it's like every there is ugliness and beauty intertwined and embedded in every single moment and Beautiful. you know so it's like to choose and it can it's in many ways it's a heroic act to allow yourself to feel and breathe in the beauty of the moment when there is so many things so screwed up. Hmm. But I do believe that that is the way out. Do you, was, was that the way out for you? Is that how you got out of your funk? Going back to uh, San Francisco. Going back to San... Oh, 
Yeah, I, I mean, there, there was a, I mean, that was certainly, you know, it, there was no magic, um, you know, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the middle Today of I'm the, fine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was that, that did begin a, a, you know, a, a journey of more, well, I mean, I had all sorts of, you know, adventures and I mean, that, that began the whole process of, um, you know, getting to know myself better, sure. And, you know, understanding what my preferences and mode of being in the world and then sort of shaping what was to come after. Although, you know, with horrendous experiences in the process of that. Ooh. But, well, maybe not. I might maybe being a little dramatic, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, it certainly wasn't all sugar and pie. Mm. Um, you know, but, you know, I think that the one, the one thing that sort of that came through, you know, was a decision to to live life on my own terms from the mm. stamp not, from the standpoint of not conforming to what was expected of me because that's what one's supposed to do you know it's you know i yeah. have i've been I've been willing to, you know, to make some, some bold steps at key moments without trying to orchestrate things toward a preconceived outcome that have served me well. Right. And do you, so those bold moves, was it just the, the, the being bold in of itself that made you go in the right direction? Or did you, do you think you just made good choices? Because I noticed from your email signature as well, obviously something, a, a, a term which really resonates with you and is relevant to this, which is at the bottom of every email, it says leap and the net will appear. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think that's, I do think that's so. Hmm. Um, I agree. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be all peachy keen and you're not going to have uh, a lot of challenges that open up when you leap. Mm. Um, but I, I have found that, you know, bold moves are rewarded. Mm. And even if you get the bold move wrong, then as we've already discussed, you're, you're having some adversity, which can be one of the most valuable life lessons. It's it's that sort of inertia, staying in the same place and not changing and just regretting and wishing you were doing something else rather than actually. Oh, absolutely. That that's been a you know, I I that's something I've been very cognizant of my whole life. I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back at the things that I wish that I had done. Yeah. Or that, yeah. Um, so you want to regret things that you have done rather than regretting things that you haven't. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yes. And in many ways, you know, I guess that's more, you know, it's also as I get older, in some ways, the, it, it, that's not to say that, oh, I want to visit, you know, every country on earth, or I want all of these adrenaline filled experiences. Um, you know, it's more of taking, of matching those inner quiet aspirations and inspirations and working those muscles in the outside world in mm -hmm. one way or another. So, you know, it's not so much a bucket list of uh, things I want to do. <clears throat> it's more a way, more about manifesting the inner desires and values in my day-to-day -day life. Amazing. Yeah. Like keeping those flames alive, you know, exactly. of being... You know, and that's why you decided not to be an educator, well, not to be a teacher in the more conventional sense. That's why you left university and, and went to do something else, because, yeah, it was it was killing that inner fire to for exactly. living in a way that you wanted to live. Yeah, exactly that. Wow. Um, I, I so much of what you're saying makes so much sense to me. And this is like this is the biggest issue, you know, the status quo. Like, how are we going to you know, get an upturn of humanity again instead of what seems for me it seems like we're just sort of you know we're sort of moving into some dystopian future in front of our eyes but so I, I'm totally with you about the oneness and the fact that we should all see ourselves as a global collective of beings and um, that all should be moving in the same direction and symbiotically but at the same at the same time this may sound a bit contradictory but I feel that we do need to look inward as well because i think that you, you you we've talked about you know politicians fucking things up and stuff i think a lot of people can hide behind that including me at times in my life i think this guy donald trump he's messing up everything in the world i don't have to do anything about it all i have to do is complain about this guy because he's everything that's wrong with the world but actually i think that we need to you know activate ourselves as well and be responsible for ourselves take account um, take take yeah take responsibility for how we behave towards people and towards the planet that's something which you can control which you can really improve i believe in your life i love the mother Teresa quote which i often roll out which is if you want to go and change the world go home and love your family yes exactly and yeah and, and again this is this is another turtles all the way down it's your it's, it's yes it's the the inside the inside is reflected outside and yes. the outside is reflected inside the point of power is, a, is, a, is within the very simple, quiet place within each of us to, to, to be accountable without damning ourselves. Mm. And to let kindness and, you know, Doing that, doing that inner work of, of simply being, of observing what is with kindness, it creates an environment, it creates its own, you know, 
fission, it, it creates its own power that then goes out of the individual and begins to affect everything the individual touches. Beautiful. So, you know, I, I think that a lot of folks- <laughs> Rafa agrees. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's so true, Kathy. It's so, so true. I think that it's like a domino effect. The way that you are as a person is a domino effect. You can either make people more annoyed around you or you can make them feel like more loving and happier. You know, it, it just all comes down to your demeanor and how you present to other people and, you know, the, the, the actions that you take in your life. Yeah. And, you know, kindness, true kindness is a radical act because that's going to, you know, if, if, if enough people develop that ability to exude kindness in the world, independent of what you're seeing or what is happening to you or what somebody has done to you, that has the power to really begin to transform the human energetic. Mm. We, there, the human species has so much creativity and <clears throat> innovative know-how and power. We have the skills. The skills exist or are, can be easily developed to turn so many things around so true and you know i feel like we're we're this we're on we're on a race <laughs> where you know the capacity to to turn things around it exists it's here we can do it Agreed. but it's are we going to are are we going to come together soon enough to be able to do it yeah do and we have the collective will yes I, I think kindness is one of the biggest the most hidden um secrets in life like when i, I am kind true. when i when i do acts of kindness i i mean all at the end of the day i believe that we all just want love we all want to be loved yes. we all want to be liked and we all want to be loved when i do things that are kind to, for other people i that is the point at which i feel the best about myself that's the yeah. point at which i love myself the most and so it really is such an amazing thing to be kind and to do you know acts of kindness because it makes you feel so good about yourself it's a selfish act at the end of the day but it's it's such a an, it's such a great antidote to feeling unhappy in any way go and do something for somebody else there's a, a quote which i like which is if you can't make yourself happy make somebody else happy <laughs> and um, and that in turn you know sort of folds back to you it, it, it's amazing i don't think there isn't enough kindness in the world do you think that we will turn do you think humanity will turn a corner now in terms do you think necessity is a mother of invention in terms of the environment which is on its last legs it seems to me the planet and you know you know our relationship with animals our relationship with each other do you think that we we we, we can and will turn a corner are you optimistic i am i am cautiously optimistic and nice. that that is different. I mean, I when when I woke up as a young child to what we were doing to the natural world, I was filled with the 
just tremendous anger and hatred towards humanity. It's yeah. like, well, we don't deserve to be here. You know, it's, the, the earth's going to be fine. We're, we're going to, you know, yep. send ourselves to oblivion. And mm -hmm. then good riddance and the earth will be okay. It's going to be finally be okay without us. Thank you very yeah. much. Mm. And, you know, that was my very strong, vehement attitude as a child. And, you know, pretty much was with me through much of my life. But, you know, over the last, I don't know, 30 years or so, I, I really do see things differently. You know, if you look at the human species in an evolutionary way, we, we are like, we're like the hormone-driven, impatient 17-year-old. And we haven't, you know, we're just, who's just not quite at the point of having its brain developed enough to really <laughs> take in past, present, and future and make a rational choice. Mm. So as, a, as the evolution of our, you know, collective consciousness, we're, we're still growing up. And, mm. you know, we, we've had kind of a, we've had a pretty rough uh, childhood and adolescence. Um, but we're right on the precipice of having our neurons connect in a way where we can wake up and see what we've done and make, some, make a different choice with this tremendous skill and talent and creativity that we have. Wow. So... <clears throat> I'm much less harsh um, about my attitudes of humanity. And I do think, I, I'm not convinced that we're going to do it in time, but I think we can. And I think we're worthy. And I think there's also a hidden place within, uh, you know, again, within our collective consciousness that we are full of shame and insecurity and regret and remorse for what we have done. And we don't want to look at it. We don't want mm. to face it. And, and part of the othering and the blaming is a way that we don't have to be accountable and really make a reckoning with how badly we have messed things up. That is so well put. But it is that we've, we've messed it up from the standpoint of an adolescent who is just learning and who is worthy and is, is capable of making a different thing and creating a beautiful life for itself. Mm. And I hope we do that. Wow, that is so beautiful. Yeah, you, you use the term waking up, which I wanted to use during this conversation, because I think that is, that's what we should always be trying to do, being open enough to lean into new conversations, new ways of doing things, rather than just being miserable creatures of habit. <laughs> well, at least if we're going to be creatures of habit, they should be positive hab habits, which, you know, make us feel happier every day and create something for others. Yeah, absolutely. 
And it is interesting, you know, we, we are so addicted though to, to the to the drama of the negative. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at TV. I mean, 60 or 70 percent of TV, at least, is is it starts with something really horrific happening. We are for some reason compelled by misery. Exactly. Try to get through any American production that doesn't have a friggin gun in it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. It's that we need a. There needs to be some kind of reprogramming, doesn't there? Collective reprogramming. As you say, all the answers are out there. We could have an immaculate planet. We could have an absolutely beautiful planet if only we really took pride in it, as if it was our own garden or our own house. It's that feeling of, yeah, we, we've shunned collectivism in general, yeah. haven't we? For that sort yeah. of personal gain, which we can see every day, does not make us as happy as we thought it was going to be. Exactly. And that's you know, the, the culture right now. It, 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 and the pandemic shows this so clearly. I, it's right. just amazing to me how, you, how people are so, at least in this country, are so focused on their own position and losing, losing the, the whole Status. thing that we, mm. we, we need to, we're not wearing the mask only for ourselves, we're ma- wearing the mask to protect each other. Mm. We're getting the second vaccine, not just to give ourselves an additional 15% efficacy. Mm. We're doing it to, for, the, for society to try to get the whole virus at bay. It's, it's a, everything has become you know, th- this is another part of the, uh, this is another facet of the othering conversation. You know, it's, it's all become about me, 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 while we're forgetting about we, we, we. <laughs> mm. Absolutely, which has so much more value. And we enjoy that so much. And we just, again, we need to wake up to it because those those experiences that we share are always the best experiences, aren't they? My, you know, all in you, you guys, you and Jim, you know, you have at least two places in my top five experiences of since I've been in America. And that's because we were with other people and sharing it, enjoying it with like-minded people, yeah. appreciating together. Yep. Um, my, my wife, my beautiful wife, your our mutual friend, is uh, she has an interview in 10 minutes time. And I promise that I'll be finished by three o'clock. But she would be devastated if I didn't ask you this question before we wrapped up. And again, okay. I could speak to you for hours longer, Kathy. And I feel like, um, you know, we've only just really just t- tip of the iceberg stuff. But Dee wanted me to ask you about the time that Kathy turned down David Bowie. Oh, God. <laughs> 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 she loves this story and she'd rather if you embellished it in some way for you know the more oh, embellished the better i don't know there's not a whole lot to embellish um, <laughs> only just 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 go as far as you're comfortable okay um well one of my well when i first landed in san francisco I got um, I got a job within the first forty eight hours 
working in a dental practice because that's my, my father was, um, my father was a dentist and I worked in his practice. So I had uh, quite a few skills in that area. Oh, and one aside from my father, um, <laughs> ultimately he, re he retired in, uh, he, he worked in the prison systems in California and he wow. made dentures for Charles Manson. So there's another um, bizarre claim to fame. You tell me that at the end of the chat. Yeah, at the end of the chat. My father, <laughs> my father made dentures for Charles Manson. Oh yes. my God. Uh, but anyhow. There's I, a t-shirt. There's a t-shirt <laughs> for you. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I had, I, my first job was in a dental practice um, in San Francisco. And um, boy, after a couple of months of doing that, I, my depression increased because I realized <laughs> that there was no way I was not cut out to do a nine to five job. I just simply, I couldn't do it. Mm. And in my, you know, I was 21 years of age at that point. And, you know, I really had not yet come to a point where I realized that I could make a living on my own terms. <laughs> and mm. I thought, well, my life is over because I can't do the nine to five thing. I just can't do it. Mm. So anyhow, I, uh, um, I called in sick this one particular day because I just couldn't face going in. And I took out a newspaper and I was circling. This is, of course, you know, before there were internet things, I, you know, went to the classified ads and I noticed that the discotheque up the street from where I lived was hiring experienced cocktail waitresses. And I thought, well, you know, I had no experience, but I figured how hard can it be to be a cocktail waitress? So I walked up and um, interviewed for the job and they looked at me very, very skeptically because they, they weren't happy that I did not have experience, um, but they decided they would you know, try me out. They told me to come back at 10 o'clock that night. And, you know, so got there and they, I did fine as, as a cocktail waitress. So they, they hired me. And then a couple of months later, I got tired of uh, getting um, mauled on the floor mm. uh, <laughs> and decided I that I would like to have this big piece of wood called a bar in front of me and that I, you know, I wanted to be a bartender. Right. So it's the same kind of thing. They were very, very skeptical that I was going to be able to, um, with no experience, you know, attend the bar. But um you know, I did that. And you know, it was, it was funny. It was like, I, initially, I really enjoyed um, working in the bar because it was, it was like being on stage. It was performance. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, after a while, you know, sort of was, was more of a seedy underside and I didn't enjoy that so much. But for, for a while, I really enjoyed, um, you know, bartending. Anyhow, this was, this was a fairly upscale place um, on Union Street in the marina. Mm. And, um, you know, we would occasionally get people of renown in. And uh, one night, uh, David, Boyce, da David Bowie sauntered in. And <laughs> there's really not a whole lot to this story. <laughs> <laughs> but he, uh, you 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 turned you turned away his attentions basically well i mean yeah I, so you know he he came in and there was all this hubbub everybody's you know going crazy and you know uh 
was you know quite exciting for the for the bar to have him in there. And at at one point, you know, he he wandered up to the bar and he. <laughs> Do I really have to say this? And <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. You really don't. <laughs> what a guy, though, of all the people to be chatted up by, David Bowie. Oh well, yeah. Well, you know, he, okay. He he said, "Well, I used to bartend in yeah in Danskin Danskin leotard, you know, kind of thing." With right. you know, I was actually I was it was actually quite modest in many ways, but it was you know it was rather skin tight, and mm. I was a you know fresh young 21 year old so you know mm. things were were looking okay at that point in my life <laughs> and he, he said he he leaned in and he said I really don't mean to be rude but you've got really lovely breasts wow that's what he said to me incredible and <laughs> Yeah. So later that evening, he, you know, and I'm sorry that I lied. He, he passed, he gave me a note of some type. He gave me a note. I don't even, I lost it. I don't even remember. I don't remember what it said, but you know, I could have, I suppose I, I, if, if I would have decided to play things a different way, yeah, I probably could have had an evening with David Bowie. But it was like, it's like, come on, you know, these, these people, I found, it's like, they can have anybody they want. I, I don't want to be one of his damn potato chips. Right. <laughs> Good on you, Kathy Ocean. Okay. I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I do love potato chips, but I had no desire to, you know, be one of his potato chips so <laughs> where better to end than that I, I absolutely wonderful i love you boundlessly i'm going to run off now and um, let my wife take over thank you so much this has been oh, incredible you're very welcome, thank you for the opportunity and and give my love to the of course and will we have to do a part two amazing speak soon love you okay love you back bye The Natural High.